Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. It's, it's nice to, to see you all, and, and if you're uh, new, or maybe it's been the past few weeks for you, uh, this is kind of uh, uh, something that we do every Sunday. I know it's shocking. Some people, I, I say to them, you know, we gather as a church every Sunday. They're like, every Sunday? You do this every Sunday? We're like, yeah, you know. We do this, and we've been learning together about a topic that maybe, uh, for some of you, has been hard to think about. I know in my own life, thinking about this topic of suffering is always really, really challenging. And this morning, I want to talk to you about something that's even worse than suffering and pain. And it's not something we often think about. Uh, and, and kind of before I do that, I want to just mention that for many people, even people who don't go to church, they might remember, and you might remember, something special about this Sunday because it's often called Palm Sunday. Uh, it, it comes from this beautiful story that we're going to look at in a little while. Uh, and I remember when I was young, I was going to a Catholic church. And I grew up in a, in a, in a context in, in, um, in St. Michel. Some of you know St. Michel area. It's kind of really, uh, you know, I remember growing up, the sketchy area of the city, and, and just loving growing up there. And I remember we would go to church on Palm Sunday, and we would come home from church with palms, palm branches. Anyone remember this? And I used to love that because my brother and I would hit each other with the palm branches all the way home. And I was like, I love church, you know? So on your way out, we're going to give you palm branches so your kids can kind of, no, I'm kidding, we're not doing that. <laughs> But if you know a little bit of Palm Sunday, it's actually connected every year to something that begins the season that moves us towards Easter, which is Ash Wednesday. And you might not have heard of this, but oftentimes the ashes that are used on Ash Wednesday come from the palms that are burnt after Palm Sunday. And it's a way for, uh, for us to learn the story of Jesus and that, to connect us to this big story that we've been kind of journeying towards. But one of the most beautiful things about Palm Sunday and one of the most powerful things about this moment in the story of Jesus and in the Bible, it's one of the few places in the Bible where Jesus cries. Now, I don't know if you think about this in your mind. Like, take a minute and think about it. What would it look like to you to see Jesus crying? Would you have like an ugly cry? You know people have an ugly cry? You're like, hey, that's, that's a weird kind of cry. The Bible actually uses a deeper word. It says that Jesus weeps on this, in this moment in the story as he moves towards Jerusalem. I, I don't know about you, but I, when I think about weeping, I think of suffering and pain and someone feeling these emotions that no words can capture. When's the last time you saw an adult man weep? I thought about it this week as I was preparing. I'm like, nah, not a lot of examples come to mind. I didn't grow up in a culture where men cried at all. Men were tough. In my culture, no, no, no. Like men, men grunt in my culture. Eh, yeah, eh. Like I just remember things like that. I was like, is that good or bad? It's like even people in my culture that hurt themselves, they don't, like, and I have a bit of that in me. My wife makes fun of me, like, I'll have a pain. I'm like, babe, I'm not feeling good. She's like, you should call a doctor. I'm like, nah, what do they know? Whatever, I'm fine. 
shake it off. Come on. And then you do that with your kids. Kids like, Dad, I'm dying. I broke my arm. No, no, shake it off. You know, you have no, you have no category for like real pain. And then you read the Bible and you're like, okay, wait, let me get this straight. So Jesus is weeping. We, we know what to do with kids who cry. Actually, kids crying is so common to us that we kind of let them cry because they're like, it's not a big deal. We also know with like, old, you know, teenagers or maybe young people, we know people are crying, but an adult man weeping gets everybody's attention. It's like something is up here. And if you don't know the story in the Bible, I want to let you know that the people who are with Jesus have been following him, some of them, for three years because he's the leader they've been waiting for. You should know that anybody who's followed someone for three years who believes they're the leader who's going to set them free does not want to see him crying because weeping leaders are not usually conquering leaders. They're not leaders who win battles if they cry. And if they do cry, you don't want anybody else to see them cry. But on Palm Sunday... Jesus weeps. We're going to talk about that this morning, and I want to just ask you for you to think about maybe in your own life, when's the last time you weeped? When's the last time you saw something so painful that kind of made you feel this burden that you didn't even have the words to explain what was happening inside of you, that you began to cry and weep and feel like you needed God to step in and do something? When's the last time you weeped? Wept is the right word, right? Right, Bethany? Wept. All the English people are like, Tom, it's wet. <laughs> When's the last time? The last time I wept, I, I was uh, living in Ontario, and my wife and I were uh, at another church, and I remember it was late at night and everybody went to bed, and I was sensing that God was saying to us, it's time to move on now, it's time to go back to Quebec. And some of you know the story of our church, like kind of we were praying and talking to people, trying to figure out, is that really God? Like, this is kind of weird. Like, you know, I, I'm not, we love where we're at and we don't even like Quebec. But I grew up here and this is my home and, you know, we're like thinking, you know, and some of you are like, amen, we'll, we'll get to you, don't you worry. Uh, and, uh, and I remember feeling a sense of, of just the weight of thinking about people that I loved who no longer believed in God. They didn't believe in God. They stopped going to church. They stopped committing their lives to God. And I remember I had this journal that I would kind of write some of the things that I was feeling because I didn't always make, make sense to me. And I remember writing, and I remember sensing God's kind of leaning me to write down the names of the people that I loved that I knew didn't believe in God anymore. And I had this journal. I started writing their names down. And as I wrote their names down, I began to weep. And I remember God saying to me, it's time to go now. And we left. Because weeping and crying in the Bible is not these emotions that we see and we hope we can help someone stop crying. They're meant to move us to care about the things that God cares about. They're meant to move us to a place where we would get out of our comfort zone and do something that we never thought we would do. And for some of you, you've stopped weeping. You've stopped caring about the things that God cares about. You've stopped being concerned about the things that matter to God. Well, Palm Sunday is a good Sunday to reconnect with that. Because on Palm Sunday, we have to follow Jesus as he weeps. And I'm going to tell you more about that story, but I want to remind you that as we've been through this series, one of the things we've tried to do is to help you to be careful not to be tempted to think about suffering and pain the way the world thinks about suffering and pain. 
By now, at this point in this series, my hope is that you've grown just a little. Just a little in understanding that pain and suffering is not just connected to thinking bad things are happening in the world. You know what that means? God doesn't exist. That's like such a simple argument that almost everybody makes. But as you mature, you kind of grow out of that. Because you know what? I know many people who don't believe in God, who are atheists, they believe in different things, and that suffering is still there. So another belief system doesn't automatically remove the questions about suffering. Actually, the Christian faith is the kind of faith that invites us to step into the suffering. And what we learn there is that the God that we meet in the Bible doesn't just stop suffering, but He comes to share in our suffering. And nobody knows what to do with that because we prefer a God who just stops suffering. And that's not who we get in the Bible. We get something maybe more beautiful. And actually, as we've gone through the series and I've thought about this, I read this article a while ago, and it made me think about how we live in a world where if only we could stop suffering, if only all the pain in the world would end and all the poverty would be over, you know, and by the way, we need more of that. Don't get me wrong, right? But the fact that we connect that to whether there's God, I just read this article years ago, and I remember I was sharing this with some university students about people who experienced this horrible curse of not being able to experience pain. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's actually a massive, massive problem with people who cannot feel pain. Actually, it has a special name. It's a special, like, kind of illness that some people have. And there's the, somebody in the article, they talk to somebody who has this illness. And this is what they say. People assume that feeling no pain is this incredible thing. For people with congenital insensitivity to pain, it is the exact opposite. We would love to know what pain means and what, and what it feels like. Without it, your life is full of challenges. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Like someone who can't feel pain doesn't know when they cut themselves. Someone who doesn't know that they're cut usually gets an infection. Somebody who can't feel pain doesn't know when their body's on fire, unless they see it, so there's something wrong there. And really quickly you realize that not having pain and not being able to experience suffering actually comes with losing a whole host of other things which make us human. Because to not want suffering and to not have pain also leads to not wanting love and intimacy and closeness and relationships. And so hopefully as we've gotten to this point in this series, you're feeling what it's like to not just have an immature or a simplistic or an overreaction to thinking, if only there was less pain, if only there was no suffering, then I'd believe in God. Seriously? We're calling you to like a deeper place. We're calling you to grow and to think more deeply about this. Because no pain is not always a good thing. No suffering doesn't just mean that ever, all the problems are solved. Many of you know this, and I know this in my own life. Sometimes moments of deep pain were moments of deep lessons. Moments of suffering were moments of learning. And in the Bible, there's a whole group of people that on Palm Sunday, it's almost like the Bible, if you're watching like a, a movie, it's like the camera will start to focus in on this group of people. And they represent some of the religious leaders, some people who have questions for Jesus, they're upset at Jesus. They symbolically represent people who no longer feel suffering and pain and sadness with what they see in the world because how Jesus is dealing with things bothers them. Jesus is doing things that they don't approve of. They don't think he should do it this way or that way. Even when he sets people free, they have questions. And throughout the Bible, if you read the Bible, and we encourage you to read it, They'll come to Jesus and they'll have a test for him. 
They'll ask him interesting questions. And, and Jesus kind of, in the most humble and beautiful way, you know, I read these stories in the Bible, and I'm like, this is when Jesus is going to yell at them, and he doesn't. This is when Jesus is going to tell them that he knows all the answers, but he doesn't. This is when the one who knows all the truth to every question, instead of answering them and saying, losers, which is, maybe that's what I would do. Jesus says, that's interesting. Let me ask you a question. And then he tells a parable. It's a beautiful story that he, he tells them. And at the end of the parable, you're even more confused. You're like, I don't even know what this guy's doing. What does this mean? And then Jesus will say, it's the great line. He says, you know what? You, you, people, you should follow me. You should follow me. Because as you follow me, you'll hear more and maybe understand that story better. And he does this all the time. Well, if you're learning about Palm Sunday in the Bible, there's different writers in the Bible that give us different kind of a perspective on this story. It's this moment where Jesus makes his final trip to Jerusalem. And there's a few things that are similar in the stories. As he's heading to Jerusalem, he's on a donkey. And people are shouting. They're singing Hosanna. They're singing this beautiful song. And it falls on a particular season of the Jewish people, which is called the Passover season, which is that great season where people celebrated that God set the people free. It's actually connected to like the Exodus story. Okay, it's, it's connected to this ancient Jewish story that whenever people thought about God setting people free, that he cared about their pain, he cared about their suffering, he heard their prayers, they celebrated. And so Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. And some of you maybe have seen this, you know, probably this afternoon or somewhere on some cheesy YouTube channel, there'd be like a story of Palm Sunday, whatever, and people are waving palm branches. Matthew gives us this profound like moment in the story. In Luke's gospel, we have Jesus telling a story, a parable. Before that, he's with Zacchaeus, who's a person that people don't like, and Jesus is with him trying to say, hey, God's doing something that we didn't expect. But Matthew tells us this profound thing. This is what Matthew tells us about the group of people who failed to be able to see that God is doing something new. This is what we're told. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them, a God who cares about suffering. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Some translations say that they were angry or upset. Can you imagine how hard your heart has to get? That not only do you not care when people suffer, you don't even care and are excited when God begins to heal people when good things happen. The Bible tells us that in this season, as Jesus is coming, he's healing people. And these religious leaders that you expect, I mean, I would expect that. It's like, I have a lot of questions for Jesus. He kind of bothers me. I didn't like when he did that. But he, did he just heal that man? Did he just heal that lady? Are people like being healed of their suffering? I don't know about you, but my heart, it would get my attention. I'd be like, okay, God. Maybe I need to kind of get honest. I think I'm, you know, maybe I'm dealing with some pride. Maybe I'm dealing with some things that I haven't surrendered to you. These religious leaders are so symbolic of a kind of spiritual blindness that can grip any one of us. Any one of us can be gripped by these moments where we want God to do this because when he does this, then I'll believe. And then he begins to do something else. And he says, look at this here. Watch what I'm doing now. Would you be open to changing your perspective? Would you be open to changing your mind? Would you be open to maybe letting go of the way you thought things should go and notice how people are being set free? Would you, would you consider that? Not these religious leaders. Actually, as we move closer to Good Friday, 
It's these very religious leaders that will begin to plan and conspire and talk and decide about how they're going to kill Jesus, how they're going to crucify Jesus. You know, there's a kind of pain that's worse than physical pain. There's a kind of heart problem that is even worse than suffering. It's the place in your life where you stop caring that you see people suffer. It's this kind of spiritual pride and stubbornness that the pain of others, the suffering of others, doesn't even matter to you anymore. Your perspective is the only thing that matters. And when God doesn't do things the way you thought he should do them, whatever, you're done with God. That even the good things that God has done in your life or in my life, we don't even see them in the right perspective anymore. This is what we're told in this season as we move towards Palm Sunday, as we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. A God who cares that people are suffering. And yet those who see it and can't even see beyond that. You know, as a pastor, I've seen this a lot in church. I've seen this often with families, parents, grandparents, who instead of focusing on the good things that God was doing, they focused on like things weren't the way they should be, the way we used to do it. I've been a pastor long enough where I've been to churches where, you know, where the kids were coming at the front and God was doing something new, but it was too loud. I was at a church where people didn't like it because it was too dark. We didn't do enough of this, enough of that. And, and it's true. We, every church has problems, by the way. Not ours, but most churches have problems. But that doesn't mean we can't learn and grow. But to see those things as the only thing and to miss the big picture that God is doing something new, this is a type of pain that the Bible warns us about all the time. Deep, deep stubbornness that's there. And wouldn't it be easy if we could just say, oh, these are, like, these are religious people in the Bible. This is not us. No, no, this is us. This happens to all of us. Happens to me in my life. It happens in a subtle way with my kids. It happens in a subtle way where I hear something long enough and then I just don't care anymore. Because you know what? It has nothing to do with me. So I don't care. Right? Simple, simple things. Like think about like in a practical way. I'll be honest, very, very practical. How many times would we say, hey, we really need help with this issue, and you're like, I don't really care. It has nothing to do with me, right? Likely, this is a very human thing. If you don't have kids, you probably don't care about kids' ministry. That's not because you're trying to be mean. That's not because you're trying to be like, oh, I don't care. I'm... No, it's because it's just not on your radar. So you have to maybe need someone's help to see something from a new perspective. Or I've often been at churches where people will say, oh, how come we don't do more of this? And I'm like, that's a great idea unless you have small kids because that's harder. Or, or this or that. And it's just such a practical way of saying, God, would you give us the eyes or perspective to see things that we might not see from another person's perspective? It's so beautiful when we hear someone talk and they say something, we're like, you know what? I never thought of it that way. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy that the church is diverse and different and people's perspectives matter and we learn from some. Some have better opinions than others. Some have better ideas than others. But you know what? There's this sense that in a practical way, we can miss this. But then, then there's a spiritual stubbornness, something much deeper than just a disagreement. If you've been with us, you know that we've been trying to learn about these issues about suffering by looking at a prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah is this great prophet in the Old Testament. And anybody who was following Jesus would often hear Jesus use Isaiah as a reference point because they know Isaiah, they know him well. Some people would have memorized Isaiah. Now, at one point, Isaiah talks about this kind of blindness. 
This is what he says at one point. He goes, here, you deaf, look, you blind and see. You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. It's kind of beautiful that we sang, open the eyes of my heart this morning. As a way of worshiping and asking God to do something in us that protects us from this warning in Isaiah. That you can see things, but not listen. You can be aware of something happening, but it doesn't apply to you, it's someone else. That even when God does good things and healing is happening and God is showing that he cares about suffering, those religious leaders, they're upset. Can you imagine how upset you have to be to plan to murder someone? Some of you are like, I know that feeling. Okay, that's bad. Like, you should email us if that's you. But do you know how mad you have to get to be like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna kill, we're going to kill him. That's a lot of moments of God saying, hey, hey, deal with that. Hey, hey, confess that. Hey, hey, I think you're looking at this from a wrong perspective and just ignoring that. Long. You have these religious leaders. Their responsibility was to call the people of God to remember how good God is. How caring He is. You know, some of you are here this morning, you just need to be reminded of that. It's very simple. God cares about the things that you're carrying. Can you just like let that sink in? God cares about the things that you and I are carrying. He cares. He cares and he listens and he's aware and we go to him and we pray and we invite you to learn about that. Now, God doesn't always respond to those things in a way we want him to, but he cares and he's at work. And he's always been at work. So maybe for you, that's a first step. And that's maybe hard to understand. But we hope that as you leave today, and maybe you're listening online, that maybe that would be one new perspective that you would have on God. That you went from not believing that God exists to maybe just starting to believe that he cares. He just cares. And that you would maybe watch in your own heart and in your own mind when you live every single day, you and I every single day, bombarded by a negative story, a negative bad thing, something bad, someone else died, another murder, a constant. It's a loop. It's Because that sells, obviously. It's the loop. Constant loop. To say, God, that's not the whole story about what's happening in the world. That's not the whole story. That's the only story that I'm hearing. That's the only story that the algorithm of my phone shows me. And I find this all the time. I'll have a moment where I'm studying or I'm praying and I'm like, God, I think about the world and I look at my phone and I'm seeing messages. I'm like, I just saw like 10 messages of bad things that are happening in the world. It's impossible to be like, I'm so hopeful. Like, it's like impossible. But that's not the whole perspective. That's not the whole truth about what's happening. There's still churches and people like you and I who are trying to help other people. And every so often, every so often, you have a little story. It's like, you know, citizen of the week helped Granny Rake. Wow. After 27 stories of murders. I'm not going to make a dent in it. If we're not those who remember Jesus cares, God loves us. And he's at work at times, even when our world says, he not only is not at work, he doesn't even exist. We're like, maybe that's not true. Maybe there is a moment where we see God weep. That's what the writers of the Bible want to help us understand. And this is what they tell us. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, says Jesus, he wept over it and said, 
If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Wow. Well, like, what a warning. What a warning of God saying, I had peace for you all along, but you chose stubbornness. If any of you know anybody who plays an instrument or plays music, especially guitar, any guitarists in the room? Guitarists? Yeah, some of them are on our worship team. You know, my brother years ago was playing guitar, and I studied music a little bit. And, and I remember when he was starting to play guitar, one of the things he was trying so hard to do was to get calluses on his hands. Any guitarists? They know? Because I would be, be like, bro, look, I'm amazing. I'm bleeding from my fingers. It was, like, it was like the level of really reaching status. Some musicians are like, yeah. It's the, it's the point where once you get calluses, it, your skin gets so hard that then you can play and you stop bleeding. You also stop feeling. And that image, I often think of that callous way that our skin actually responds to constant, constant, and then there's nothing really there. There's no response. I see Jesus say this. It's like you've been so stubborn. You've, you've not wanted to see and to understand that God loves people and he's reaching out and he hears when they suffer and he cares when they're in pain. And even the ones that don't come to the temple, Jesus is going out to them. He's going out constantly and now their hearts are callous and now they won't be able to see now. It's easy to read this and be like, oh, God made it that they couldn't see. No, no, they have slowly allowed this to happen. They had the prophet Isaiah. They had the teachings of Jesus. They saw the miracles. And now we're told that Jesus, as he comes towards Jerusalem, he weeps for the city. And Luke gives us this kind of snapshot, right? For the city, the people, the leaders. Wow. If this is our king, I mean, that's it's hard. Three years following this guy? I'm thinking if you're the disciples and you see Jesus like weeping, you're like, okay, guys, let somebody sing a song. Let's, let's distract. Let's distract. We don't want people to, like, nobody's going to follow the guy. Why is he crying? I didn't grow up, like, thinking about a city and weeping. I don't know about you. I think of people who, when they think about the city, they hate the city. You know people like that? Maybe you know people, they complain about the government. They complain about politics. Maybe you have one of those people in your family. Maybe two. If you can't think of anyone, it's you. They just always have something to say. They know about the budget. They know about, they know about everything. And whenever they say the city, they don't think, my heart breaks for the city. I love the city. I remember when I moved back here and my wife and I would tell people, hey, we moved back to Quebec. And they're like, you lived in Ontario and you came back here? Like, it's like, it's like we saw aliens, right? They're like, what, what, what? I'm like, yeah, you know, we just sensed a love for coming back and being with the people. They're like, Really? It's like a mystery. They're like, are you on drugs? No, they didn't say that. But they could have. What does it mean that Jesus helps us to love the city that has a lot of problems? What does it mean to become a church that doesn't repeat the same things that non-Christians say about the government in the city? But that we say something different. That we say we're frustrated with this, we're angry at this, but we love the city. Because we had a, a God who when he, he came to the brokenness of our city, he wept as he saw the city. The brokenness and the pain and just the suffering. And he's like, no, no, this cannot stand. 
And he doesn't show up with a sword and a horse. Like, trust me, people were ready for that kind of king. He's on a donkey with branches and he's crying. You're like, oh my goodness, we picked the wrong guy to follow. This guy's not going to change anything. Crying guy on a donkey doesn't say hero to me. Jesus is like, let's keep going to Jerusalem. We'll see. Let's keep going now. How many other times did his disciples see him cry? We know that another time Jesus is going to cry is when his friend Lazarus dies. Jesus weeps even though he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. How beautiful that he wants to feel the pain of his family and his friends before he shows them this beautiful thing that he's going to do. We see this tension in this story where Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to learn to care about the things that matter to me. That it's going to matter to you when people suffer in your city. It's going to matter to you when people feel the weight and the pain of problems in the city. And instead of just, ah, you know, whatever, you're like, no, no, this matters. You want to hear a very practical messiness of this all in our context? We have a wonderful staff, many of you know our team. And just, just even a few weeks ago, if not months ago, we reach out to the city. We reach out to the, the community that we're in because there's a bike race that often happens on our street. Some of you remember that bike race? And we try to get ahead of it. We try to ask them about, like, parking. Can we work on it? And the race happens on a Sunday. So sometimes it's, like, hard because we're like, okay, do we have to get people out early? Do we need to keep them? And we're just negotiating a conversation with the city, with people who are in our community. It's kind of messy. Because sometimes we'll say, you know, this is going to happen. They're like, that's not going to work for us. And in your mind, you're like, yeah, but we're a church and we've been here and what are we going to do? And it's like, well, who's going who's to win? Well, in the next little while, we're going to tell you <laughs> what we're learning. But it's a commitment and a value to care and to listen. And if you're new to Quebec, if you're watching online from anywhere else in the world, you might not know this. But people in this province, when they think about church and religion, don't have bubbling good feelings about it. We're almost rebuilding trust and learning and listening and trying to do that with others. Whenever I'm frustrated at that and, and I think about, oh, this is hard, like it's, you know, I think about Palm Sunday and I think about other people. Actually, there's a person that I read about recently, a person who loved his city so much. Maybe you heard of this person. His name is Oscar Romero. Any of you ever hear Oscar Romero? He was a religious leader, and he loved the city so much, and he was in El Salvador. It was a city that was filled with drug cartels and violence, and he was a leader in that city, and he was committed to being in that city no matter how messy it was. Actually, at one point in his life, there were like assassination attempts on him. Can you imagine? Like, I love you all, but if somebody, you know, says they're going to hurt me, I'm going to miss you next Sunday. Be like, hey, friends, I'll catch you uh, sometime. You know, it's like the love for a city to be like, we're going to be here. We're going to help the poor. We're going to care about violence. We're going to care. We're going to care. At one moment, he shared this profound quote. You'll see it on the screen. This is what he says. There are many things that can only be seen through the eyes that have cried. Oscar Romero. So I was like, wow, I thought I loved the city, man. This is another level. He learned this from Jesus, by the way. We get this with the story of Jesus where he comes into the city as he moves towards the cross and the people that he loves and he's weeping, he knows that they're soon going to kill him. In 1980, the month of March, Oscar Romero was assassinated in a church and died while in a church. It's a love for the city. you imagine? Wow. I know a lot of people are like, I'm out of here. If God was real, you know what? He would have protected him. If God was real, he would have fixed everything. 
The God we meet in Jesus doesn't just come to stop suffering. He comes to share in our suffering. He comes to walk with us in the pain of it all. And if you don't understand that yet, we hope you set aside Good Friday and Easter Sunday to worship with us. We're going to talk about that. But one last thing. You guys, I'll have you for five more minutes before you all shut down. Yeah? Some of you are like, I'm hungry. This church is long. I don't like, are those real tattoos? Whatever. Nobody cares. Nobody cares what you think. Don't send me emails. <laughs> this is what Jesus does next in the story. It's so profound. He goes to the temple. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. This is so beautiful. That we go from Jesus who's coming into Jerusalem, who's weeping, to Jesus who goes soon after. Scholars are not sure how soon after. That he goes in the temple and he begins to do one of the most famous stories about Jesus in all of the Bible. It's like we get Jesus in like really upset mode. And it's almost like the Bibles don't want us to confuse weeping Jesus for weak Jesus. We're not dealing with a weak leader. We're dealing with somebody who weeps but who cares. And now you're going to see him in a different level. If you have eyes to see, see this Jesus. If I was painting this, I would be painting Jesus just wiping the tears before he flips the tables. And actually, you might not know this, but this is a section right out of the prophet Isaiah that Jesus will quote. Jesus knew the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes this right out of the prophet Isaiah because it was meant for the people to understand that when Isaiah was talking, he was talking about a God that made it easy for people to come and worship him and serve him. So I want to just explain this very, very quickly because I've heard this talked about, maybe you've said it and people have always used this. Like for many people, it's like, you know what this means is this means we just need to pray more. Or you know what this means? This means you shouldn't sell stuff in church. Like I used to be a youth pastor, some of you know this, and we used to sell t-shirts and, and people would always, pastor, we're really concerned. Our church is selling some things and the Bible says, that Jesus, you know, you're not supposed to sell things in the church. Okay, can you write down if you're taking notes? That's not what this passage means at all. At all. Forever. Can we just kind of talk about this so you remember? That when Jesus comes into the temple courts, there's a section of the temple where people have to buy stuff in. And it's hard for us because we don't have anything in our culture that is like the temple today. The only thing I can think of that's close to the temple today is if you took a Costco and a YMCA, and you put them together. Whatever that would be, it would be like an all-out place to buy stuff, a place for a community, a place for people, a place for... It'd be like every, the temple had that. And in the middle of the temple, there were sacred places where people would go in and worship and bring sacrifice. I have like just a picture so you could see it. Just go to the, the picture of the temple. Something like this. Maybe we'll add Costco and the YMCA and a church together. Is that better? Like all three things. It would be like that. Jesus is moving towards the temple. He's in Jerusalem. And I, I just made a circle for you in the sections. There's sections called the Gentile courts. They were people who were not Jews, who could only stay on the outside of the temple. Then there's women courts. And, and on the inner court, there were places that only priests could go in. Everybody knew this. Here's the problem. That there's a section of the temple where people came to buy animals for sacrifice at the temple. And some of these people traveled from a long way, like Jesus. If he traveled to Jerusalem, they weren't going to lug their goats and their sheep and their animals with them. When they got to the temple, guess what they did? They went to buy them. 
And the people who are at the temple, they know that when somebody is here and they don't have an animal and they've come all this way, isn't it a perfect time to make water cost $17? Like at the Bell Center? No, okay, so I feel better. I feel healed. No, I, I had to just... <laughs> Some of you are like, I know. Whenever you feel that feeling, you're like, did you say can you pass? Like, what, what? When, whenever you feel that, just think this is, it's in the Bible. This is in the Bible. It's exactly in the Bible. You're there. Your kids are crying. You're like, I don't know. Like, what? they said, the goat, how much is a goat? It was like $10 out there. It's like 27 here. Jesus goes in the temple. And he's like, what are you doing? You've made this sacred place where people come to worship, where people feel God calling them to come and sacrifice. You found a way to jip them. Instead of making it easy, you've created a space now where people associate the temple of God with robbers. Did you not read Isaiah? This is exactly what Isaiah says. So this has nothing to do with selling because they needed to sell things. It has to do with being a scammer. There's nothing worse than people who act like they pray but never change. There's nothing worse than people who go to church, they act like they're spiritual, but they're always the same. It's the most hypocritical thing you've ever seen in your life. You know how I know? Because it bothers you every time you see it. And it bothers people who are not Christians every time they see it. Because we're wired to smell hypocrisy. God has wired us to sniff out people who don't have integrity. Wired for it. But we should also see it in ourselves first. And in the temple, Jesus is there. He's like, what is this? What is this nonsense? And it's almost like he wants to make it clear that everything the temple was for has been lost. What are you guys doing? Good Friday is coming. And Jesus is going to start to say things about the temple that nobody's ready for. That the temple maybe is not just a building there, but the temple is his body that's going to be sacrificed now. And we hope you really are committed to coming to learn with us. But I'm going to invite the team to come on up and just, just play softly. And I want to wrap up by inviting you to think about maybe areas in your life where maybe you notice some stubbornness, pride, You've stopped sensing, just being sensitive to people around you who are hurting. Maybe you've stopped thinking about people who don't feel that they have a place in God's family and they're far off and you've stopped caring about those people. You've stopped understanding something so beautiful about this church that it's not just for you or for me or for our kids, but it's for those who still think that maybe God doesn't care about suffering, that God doesn't love them because they've made too many mistakes. The prophet Isaiah will use the language of foreigners, those who are outside, who don't think they have a place here. And when they finally get here, there's all these struggles and they don't know how they can play their part. And Jesus is like, what have you done? The God of the prophets, the one you should have understood is a God who's making room for people to come, to find their place with all of their questions. In my life, one of the times I've noticed where I start to get really stubborn is when I think about people that I love who don't believe in God, who maybe are not sure what they think about religion or church, and I've stopped praying for them. That's one indicator for me that something is up. I've stopped believing that God can heal things because I haven't seen it. I get confused with my eyes that just because I don't see it, that doesn't mean God's not doing something much deeper. 
This is a great time in the year for us to pray for eyes that see what others can't see. That pray for God to show us that He's doing something deeper that might not be evident to everyone. And it's something that has to be cultivated in us. It's not magical. It's something you have to pay attention to. And it's a simple prayer that you can pray to say, God, keep me sensitive to the things that matter to you. Help me to know when I should have cried when I saw that, but I didn't care. Help me to know that. Bring people in my life that remind me that that should have bothered me, but it didn't. Because when we fail to learn this, our eyes don't see anymore. They don't see. They don't see what God wanted to show us. Jesus flips the tables. It's a great story if you just make it about selling stuff in church. But it's about something so much deeper. I'm not sure, but I'm going to guess that maybe a stubborn part of your heart, my heart, happened maybe in a season where we were suffering, where someone hurt us, someone in church hurt us, another pastor hurt us, somebody, we, they said they were Christians, and all that is true. But maybe this is a great season to surrender that, to say, God, that is true, but as you heal me, would you make my heart soft again? Would you make me more aware than ever of the things that you're doing that maybe I've missed in my own life, in my marriage, in my kids, in my neighbors, in our city? Maybe you need that this week. You need to get up every morning and say, Jesus, help me to love this city the way you love this city. Say it in French. I'm going to have you stand. I'll sing the song and I'll be back to close. i
Each of us uh, get a chance this week to prepare ourselves to go with Jesus as he moves closer to the cross. To know that the Jesus who moves towards the cross, he cries with those who cry. And to know that we have a warning in the Bible of those who've stopped caring when others suffer. They stop caring when others are far off. They stopped caring about those who don't feel like they have a place. And Jesus is like, what have you done? A few weeks ago, I read the story of a bird called the firehawk. It's a fascinating bird. I actually noticed in Australia, you can go to the slide, you'll see it. It's a bird that does something so unique that when it sees a fire, it grabs a branch that has a fire on it and it takes it and it starts other fires in other parts of the forest. Is this crazy? It takes, it's a bird that carries flames in its beak. And where there is no fire, it brings the fire. All of you I know, you're like, how do we kill these birds? It's not the point of the story. But as you read about it, those who study these birds have realized why they do this. It's because when they're hungry, the only way to get all the rodents that hide in the forest is to set it on fire. And then they all run out, and as they all run out, they get to eat. So they do not care how much they have to burn or who they have to hurt as long as they get what they want. This is the place we move towards on Good Friday. Because when God doesn't heal the pain in us that makes us miss the suffering, we actually become those who cause the suffering. We actually become those who start to gossip and complain, and we don't even care if we hurt other people because our perspective is the only perspective. These religious leaders, they're about to do just that. They're going to start fires. They're going to start gossip. They're going to start talking bad. Because you know what? It makes them strong. They have power when they do that. Just like these birds. Because they get fed. And everything burns. Jesus has a special solution for this. Join us next weekend to learn what it is. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. What a gift to have the prophet Isaiah and Jesus our Lord helping us today to understand that you care about us so much.
and that it matters to you when our hearts maybe begin to get stubborn or hard. It matters to you when we don't see with your eyes and that you offer us a gift. You offer us the gift of being able to see in new ways what you're doing. I pray for those in this room, maybe those online, who have been hurt and because of suffering, their hearts have gotten hard. That this Easter and this weekend coming up, they would begin to sense a deep kind of healing where they would long to care about the things that you care about again. And that you would help us, that the Jesus that we follow would help us to weep about the things that he weeps for. That you would give us this new love for our city and our province and our leaders. That you would help us to respond with wisdom and that we would be a church that would make a difference in this time, not only for our sake, but for the sake of future generations. Jesus, would you do that through us? Help us as we leave here and as we think about all the distractions that await, all the plans that will come in the way that might keep us from coming back to worship together. Would you help us set those aside and prioritize being together as we move towards the cross and embrace the truth of the resurrection. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we love you all. God bless. Hey, when you grab your kids, would you thank one of the teachers that's been helping? And uh, we'll see you on Good Friday. God bless everyone.